Jensen presents the Keith Lowell Jensen Show with Keith Lowell Jensen. Hey, that's me, Keith Lowell Jensen, here with uh, all your Keith Lowell Jensen needs. I am excited to again thank our sponsor, Burley Beverages at burleybeverages.com. They make artisanal gourmet sodas and old timey shrubs, and they're just, they're awesome. Uh, so, we are still doing our competition to give away this mojito kit. We're going to extend it for one more week. We had a really funny thing happen was trying to advertise it on Facebook. Well, why don't you come on in, Joe? Hello. This is my producer, Joe Honor. So <laughs> Facebook didn't want us pushing our booze on their platform, huh? No, the, uh, the ad failed due to alcoholic beverage rules um, on advertising them on their platform. Which is so funny because that's, that's, that's the only reason I agreed to do this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and that is our guest and resident alcoholic, Amber <laughs> But more about her later. Uh, don't worry, Amber. We're not, the, the alcohol will be there. It just won't be advertised on Facebook. But the kit that we're giving away was just the uh, make your own mojito kit. And it, no alcohol. It wasn't the alcohol. You had to supply that part. We were giving you dehydrated limes and the soda syrup from Burley Beverages. And we still are. And we still are. <laughs> we managed to give away a mojito kit without saying the word mojito. Um, yep. So you have one more week. You have a grace period of one more week. Get in there and you're to get, give them the instructions again real quick, Joe. It's it's simple, but it's sound, yeah. people start feeling like it's complicated. It's not. Just go to our Instagram. Step one. Yeah, go to the Instagram and just find the – there's going to be one picture there that has uh, mojitos on it. <laughs> and you'll uh, you'll see the contest rules. You basically just need to follow that page, follow Burley Beverages. That's what they – you know, they're the ones sponsoring and supplying this. And then every time you tag a friend in the comment, that's one ticket to the giveaway. That's like you so, bought and you, and a raffle ticket. Yeah, you yep. can tag everyone you know. You can even tag made-up people like your account that you have for your dog or whatever. Yep. Yeah. And then the, it's not signing them up. You tag them, but that gives you another chance to win for tagging them. Exactly. So tag it's, people you don't like. Do it. It's fine. <laughs> Annoy them. It, it's, tag your friend that just got their Alcoholics Anonymous chip. Right. In in your effort to win a mojito. And they can have a version of mojito. And look, if that's still too complicated for you, just go to burlybeverages.com and buy your stuff there. If you use the discount code KLJ rules, spell with a Z, K-L-J-R-U-L-E-Z, you'll get 15% off. You can also go in person on Del Paso Boulevard if you're lucky enough to be in Sacramento. Uh, and they have uh, a beautiful tasting room. And now they're doing uh, takeout food and stuff there as well. KLJ rules. It'll get you 15% off. Uh, so cool. Did you have a good weekend, Joe? Oh, yeah. I uh, fixed my sprinklers and went swimming. I played video games on Shack News and got paid for it. <laughs> this is the Lucky. second weekend. I can't believe it. I got paid to play video games. My 12-year-old dreams have finally come true. It was a long <laughs> uphill climb, but life is finally as good as it was when I was 12. <laughs> uh, which which isn't true at all. Being 12 was awful and I don't endorse it and I would never do it again. Um, but I, I got two things I wanted to share from, from first of all, Shack News is awesome. They've been 25 years. We've had their assistant editor as a guest. Uh, great video game site. 25 years. I didn't even realize websites were around that long. Um, one, Pac-Man 99 is awesome. I 
I love Pac-Man. I've been a Pac-Man fan since it came out and I was tiny. That was my introduction to the world of video games. That's not entirely true. I played Pong and stuff, but the Pac-Man was it. That was the game. I had the t-shirt. Pac-Man 99 has made Pac-Man exciting and new again. Now, don't get me wrong. I still play the old Pac-Man. I even have one of those little mini cabinets to play it on. I love it. But Pac-Man 99, super dope. Play Pac-Man 99. May I ask what the difference between the 99 version and the OG Pac-Man is? Oh, so glad you did. Um, I, okay, this first is, of all, we're canceling. Breaking, we're, this is this is breaking news for me, by the way. Okay, so. we're we're canceling our interview because <laughs> I'm just going to talk about this for the next hour now. And you did that. You did that, Amber. You're uh, so you're playing at the same time as 99 other people. What? And yeah, and trying to survive the longest. And you can mess with each other. Like different things you do in the game will affect the games of people around you. And they're doing things that affect you. you. To do this, isn't it? Life is strange and beautiful. Yeah, you're right. We should cancel my interview because this is the real story. (laughs) I can't make a living at it because forget Lisa Lamb and all that mystery. This is the story. I was like, can I do this every week? And they were like, no, but you can do it once in a blue moon. I was like, once in a blue moon is not when my bills are due. (laughs) So, uh, yeah. Um, Also. Amber, do you know what uh, what what is it called? Do you know what chiptune music is as a genre? I do not. It's like music made on a video game console. It's like eight bit music. <laughs> and I I played what video games with a guy named Professor Shy Guy, oh, and no. he does chiptune covers. He's got like over ninety thousand followers on Twitter. He's got this is a thing, and it's <sighs> cool. I just listened to him do Miley Cyrus's Wrecking Ball. All in, all, you know, like how analog. Many followers, how many followers does he have? Uh, over 90,000. My next book is called I'm Doing Everything Wrong. <laughs> you should have sh- just been playing video games all this time. <laughs> uh, so anyway, music. but I- I'm going to try to get Professor Shy Guy on the show. I don't usually make announcements like that ahead of time in case I fail. Um, <laughs> <laughs> set myself up for public embarrassment, but I, I really enjoyed working with him and I, I think he's a lot of fun. So go check him out. Uh, Joe, thank you very much. Uh, and no problem. Uh, yeah. And, and Joe wants you all to subscribe to our podcast and to leave a review. Those are the two things you can do that will most help us since you're getting this all for free. Don't be a cheapskate. Okay. Follow and subscribe. Um, all right. My guest today, who you've already heard from, I love her enthusiasm. We couldn't couldn't keep her in the background. Amber Hollinger, here is her, here's some highlights from her IMDB uh, bio. Amber Hollinger grew up in San Luis Obispo, California, splitting her time between the beach and the farms of her extended family in Paso Robles. From the time she could pick up a pencil, she has uh, she began creating make-believe worlds and was intrigued with marrying her love of art with her love of film. Seeking a life where her quirkiness would thrive, she attended a freshman year at CalArts, then dropped out and landed her first professional animation job at 18, because that's the way it works. With over 35 properties on her resume, her passion has not wavered. Amber's the kind of filmmaker where her devotion and heart can be seen in everything she touches. Hello, Amber. How are you? Hi, Keith. Thank you so much for having me on tonight. Oh, my pleasure. I'm a big animation nut. I, I didn't have your kind of dedication to end up working in it, but I did once pass out flyers for Spike and Mike's Festival of Animation, and I traveled no. all over the country doing that. 
that's yeah. a deep cut. Oh my gosh, I remember <laughs> that. Back in the day, it was like the thing to do. Well, San Luis Obispo is one of the towns that we went to. So I was wondering if you were familiar with Spike and Mike's. And if I it was actually something had you... never heard of it until I came to CalArts. Oh, okay. And they actually, Spike was a presence there and, and they got a lot of the short films from CalArts students. That's facts. Yeah. Uh, and so I was always very well uh, aware of CalArts as well and their animation program. Well, plus, you know, everybody in the animation world came out of there now. It was so great to see adult animation kind of sheltered right? growing up in San Luis Obispo. And I know that it's changing now. The dynamics and parameters are changing and okay for adults to watch cartoon is becoming more acceptable. Listen, anime is globally the biggest movie market in the world. So That's great. It was, but it was really, really cool. Everybody thinks that animation is for kids. That was my first time like seeing something before South Park was even a thing. Holy moly, people are cussing. What's going on? Right. And do you realize they were some of the first people to uh, show uh, Matt Stone and Trey Parker's work to the world? That's true. They're pioneers. They got a hold. (laughs) Spike and Mike got a hold of the uh, Santa Claus versus Jesus, like little Christmas card that they did. Oh, that was the. It's really the, like the first South Park. Yeah. And they was. had it on a on a VHS tape that had been dubbed like three or four times. I mean, it was garbage. <laughs> yeah. And this is this is a true story between them and uh, Cartoon Network, I believe it was. They they hired a private investigator to find out who did this cartoon. It was <laughs> it was floating because back then you, you didn't have YouTube. You barely had the Internet. Uh, a, a homeless man told me what email was. In a, in a cafe in San Francisco. <laughs> he was sitting there plunking quarters into a tabletop computer in a cafe. I said, may I ask <laughs> what you're doing with the quarters I just gave you? And he goes, oh, you don't know this kid. This is email. <laughs> you know, So that wasn't a thing yet. And the, so they went viral by people dubbing a VHS tape and sending it around. And I remember seeing that for the first time. And by the way, the homeless in San Francisco, elite, Right. To mean that like, you have all the 411. If you're going to be homeless, that's the, <laughs> that's the place to do it. No, I I wasn't homeless. But, no, I know oh, I got that. I clocked that. Oh, okay. I was but afraid I, was saying, I presented that, the story that, wrong because I was close. <laughs> no, that he, yeah, he was ahead of the curve on email. That's so San Francisco, isn't it? Like <laughs> even the homeless people there are like up on the tech. Uh, it was pretty great. Um, but let me let me go. Okay, so you're there in San Luis Obispo, not yet seeing Spike and Mike. Um, but what were you? Were you a cartoon junkie as a kid? And what were the big cartoons that you like remember from your youth? I would consume everything I could get my little eyes on. We came from you know middle class roots. I didn't have a VCR until we were in high school or anything outside cable. I was really limited and sheltered in what I could see. But I watched everything. I think my my favorite still to this day is Scooby-Doo. I mean, it's ah. it's such a classic, fun, ridiculous cartoon. And that's one of the reasons I love cartoons. You could Why do something in live action that you could do in animation? Animation is meant to kind of push those boundaries of things that are harder to do or couldn't be done in live action. So, um, yeah, I'm a huge Scooby-Doo fan. I also loved Robotech, which is mega, uber, ultra, nuclear, nerdy. 
and I get right. it. Right. <laughs> God, what did I, I used to watch, uh, I didn't watch Robotech. I was aware of it, but I watched G-Force. Oh, you know you what I was never in? I do. I was just really never into that one. I never watched oh. Speed Racer. Uh, see, I think we can be friends, but I'm not, I think, <laughs> I think back then. Mail. I'll get hate mail for that. I think I've that Robotech G-Force divide back then. I actually think Robotech's probably more popular. I think you're going to win on this one. <laughs> but but not not being in a speed racer, that's that might be a problem for you. <laughs> yeah, no, Scooby Doo is great, and they were such classic characters. I think there's a reason why it's endured today. It I is. mean, you it still hear constant last, references. Last year, it celebrated its 50th anniversary, and it's continually having new iterations made. They're all fun. They all retain the spirit of the original Scooby. I love that franchise. And Thelma has to be one of the most popular cosplay costumes ever. <laughs> and I think it's because she was nerdy cool. She was like the first cool nerd girl. I think everyone gets a little uh, smack of that sexy secretary from Velma. They imagine that underneath the turtleneck and glasses is a siren. Because half of the cosplays of her, probably more than half, are sexy Thelma. <laughs> that's always a... Were you, is that what you were last year? There. You were sexy Velma? <laughs> no, that's what I will be this year. <laughs> and, and you can come be a, a gender-bent Fred. It's going to be funny. I, I was going to pitch this to you later in the episode after we got to know each other better, but what the heck. Oh, no, it, I'm it sold. came out early. <laughs> what about okay so so you watched scooby-doo and you you were exposed to some japanese animation as well um what about comic books do comic books enter your world at all uh batman is my absolute favorite comic book character of all time the villain catalog in that franchise is off the charts i love right. that he was to this day, that he had no powers, he had to be super smart. Sure, he was super rich, and that facilitated his super smarts. Right. But it gave <laughs> it gave you that. As far as being relatable, I always thought Superman was super boring. He was really vanilla. It really wasn't. He didn't have a lot of internal conflict. He always wanted to do the right thing. And Batman right. always struggles with that, just like a real person. And he has no super powers, just like a real person. It kind of gives you that idea that. If I put my mind to something, I could fucking live in a bat cave or, or uh-huh. drive, I don't know, like repel with a bat hook and do something. I don't know. Maybe pick up trash on the weekend. I don't know. You could do something with your life. I could just picture him in the full bat suit and everything out cleaning the side of the freeway. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Damn litter bugs. <laughs> it would be what a grander you- scheme plan to save the world, of course. <laughs> What do you think of the like kind of Frank Miller, like darker, because my, well, let me, let me get your opinion first before I go pushing my agenda here. But (laughs) there's definitely two Batmans because, you know, Batman always had a a little bit more of a darkness to it than, than other superheroes. And like you said, there was that, that, that moral conflict, even ahead of Stan Lee, um, making that a, you know, part of every comic, um, but but later Batman is very dark and, and pretty twisted. That's that's my favorite. I mean, yes. So you are. like you like the dark <laughs> Batman, the later well, Batmans. The the era, the origins are always dark night. Dark. They've. I mean, that's the original property. It, there's campy iterations of it, but 
he is a dark character. And if well, you his parents were shot in front of him, I guess, right from the beginning. If you're looking at story, what creates the best story? And if you know screenwriting 101 is conflict, conflict makes the most interesting stories. Batman right. is then like Uber successful story-wise, he's always in conflict. He's always searching for writing the wrong. And he's he's got himself in this uh, basically just a merry-go-round of never being able to move forward with his life. And that's so interesting to me. Sometimes I feel like the later Batmans, the more current Batmans, almost get too dark, though, where I'm like, well, he didn't actually save the day. <laughs> He stopped the world from ending, but everyone is going to be in therapy. Like, things got really ugly before <laughs> the bad guy I've, was beaten. I've, People were eating each other's brains on the streets of... <laughs> I did not care for Gotham. that. I did not care for that version. My favorite is the Christian Bale version of The Dark Knight. Okay. See, even Christian Bale. It's too dark for me. Oh. I like right. Adam There's West. A, I'll give you, yeah, I'll give you a little pow, bam, bap. <laughs> no, I think my, my favorite of all time is the, is the ones that are credited to Bob Kane. And apparently he should share that credit a bit from what I understand. But um, the original, you know, black and white, looks like it was drawn with a chunky marker. Um, I love those. I, I got, I had a girlfriend that had like a huge compendium of those and I got sick one time and that's what she gave me to read and I just Aww, fell in love. That's I was love. just like, oh, this is, is the best. You know, I that? actually think my, I said that's love. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, my favorite version of Batman was when Warner Brothers did the animated series with Bruce Tim redesigning that universe and they really, I think, hit the right tone. It was dark and complicated but they bounced off enough humorous outside elements to make Batman just not a complete drag. They had the flash and they booster right. gold and all these characters that brought levity to it. They have this, you know, they built in that little um, annoyance between Superman and Batman, which I love. I really need to check out the animated Batman. The, there's multiple series now is, but I haven't yet. Is this the one with Mark Hamill as the Joker? Yes. Yeah, I've, I've I've heard great. I've been hearing great things for a while now. I've got no excuse. I gotta I gotta go check those out. I'm gonna do it. Hands down, the best iteration of Batman I've ever seen. So, speaking of conflict, Ooh. how did the adults in your life respond to you always drawing? Was it an issue? Was it you're, you're not going to grow up and make a living drawing, Amber? <laughs> no. no, I was really. I was really supported in that. It was like most people who work in animation or most people who work behind the scenes like myself were naturally kind of shy, nerdy people at heart. And we would rather just stay in a little room in a cave and create our make-believe world. So I think I just was out of everybody's hair. Okay. But I was supported. When I said that I wanted to do this for a living, I really can't believe how nobody said, maybe plan B. Right. <laughs> oh, that's great. So, but you weren't you weren't like propping your book up so you can hide the fact that you were drawing when you were supposed to be doing your classwork and stuff. No, I think I was I had a very small high school and we only had a few art classes. So after I took the first two art classes, they created their own art class. I was the only person in it, and I got to make my own <laughs> curriculum because they didn't know what else to do with me. Everybody, you know, it's it's 
it was one of those kind of anomaly things where they're like, oh, wow, we have an artist at our school. That sounds so great. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I loved it. I could just do basically I just got to create all the time and I, I didn't shirk off. It was my favorite class. And how it, it, it seems to me you, you draw all the time. You're aware of both comic books and animation. Was there a point where a decision was made to go one direction or another? How did you end up in the animation world? And in the beginning, I think doing storyboarding initially, right? For me, I always, I knew I wanted to make film, but I also just had a natural ability to draw. So I always knew some, I wanted to do something with art and I, because there wasn't the internet or the computer, at least not at my house back then, I didn't know what possibilities were. I didn't know storyboarding was a job when I uh, when I got to CalArts. Yeah. Somebody saw me drawing little boxes with pictures in them and said, "Oh wow, so you're a storyboard artist." And I went, "What?" <laughs> I What? Like, well, that's storyboarding. Like, I'm like, "Oh shit, well I've been doing this since I was 5. Yeah, I guess I'm a I guess I'm a storyboard artist." <laughs> that's a, I I had a friend and she depressed me for a minute by telling me that uh, most of the professional string players that she worked with, and she herself is a, is a cellist, started when they were four or five. And it really bummed me out because I was like, well, I guess I'm not going to be a master of anything. I haven't done anything since I was four or five. And then I realized, oh, wait, I've been talking and trying to be the center of attention since then. And that's basically <laughs> stand-up comedy. And, and I love the idea that the thing that we can become a master of is the thing that we did when we were four or five, not because some teacher or parent made us, but the thing we couldn't help but do at four or five. And for you, that was drawing. Yes. I mean, I would expire without an outlet to express my creative ideas. It really is something deeply built into my wiring. And when I saw, I think it was when I saw The Little Mermaid, and that was after the Black Cauldron had had sent Disney and the and the animation industry a little bit in a, in a death spiral. People didn't know what was going on. There were so many layoffs. And then The Little Mermaid came about with this whole new look and it infused a breath of fresh air. The colors were bright. The songs, Glenn Keane single-handedly basically changed the way that we identify what a Disney character looks like. DreamWorks, Pixar, everything is influenced by that movie. I studied that thing like a mental patient, went and saw it (laughs) three times in the theater. And it was then that I went, that's what I will do. I will draw stuff like that because I can make movies and I can do the thing that I love most. So how old are you at that point? I think then I knew that I wanted to be an artist when I was five and I knew I wanted to be a filmmaker when I was 13. And and how old are you when Little Mermaid rocked your 13. World? 13, okay. That was it. So like I'm, the Little Mermaid I'm a little was like, older than I'm going to do that. <laughs> I worked at Blockbuster Video when Little Mermaid came out. Oh. And it was the big Christmas release. And, you know, we're all working like 10-hour shifts doing overtime because it's the holiday season. And they just had the Little Mermaid on loop in the store the entire time. Oh, so you know all the songs, too. I've never hated a movie more. Oh, (laughs) how dare you? How dare you? I, 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 I will redeem myself by telling you I've come to love it. Okay. Well, you but have at a the daughter. time, 
So you yes, have to I, love it. Oh, and she's a mermaid. She actually wants to be a, mer- <laughs> a professional mermaid when she grows up. Mm. We were we were at the gym in the pool at the gym, and she met a girl who works as a mermaid in a mermaid bar. <gasps> <laughs> and she's got this whole. She's going to start a mermaid theme park. Um, yeah, so, so I've come around on The Little Mermaid. Wait, but, so oh does my she God, have, you know when they came out, and this is a couple summers ago when it was really big, those mermaid t- fins that you put on your child and they can swim in the pool because it's like a pair of flippers? Like, she's got like three or four of them, okay. mono fins. Because I was yeah. saying, if she doesn't, then you're a crap father. And that's right, no, I'm, I'm an okay dad, I think. <laughs> okay. I don't know. I make her eat her broccoli. I bought her a mermaid <laughs> fin. Um, yeah, that, that whole Disney renaissance. Uh, I liked the dark cauldron. But I was also just about everything, but it really it was not publicly received well. No, it wasn't. And and I had this kind of reverse snobbery. I mean, I really liked the Jungle Book and I really liked, you know, the uh, Dumbo. And so it was hard for me to accept change, I think, at first. And now I've gone back again with having a kid of my own. But also, you know, like we were talking about uh, this sense that animation is for kids, I think between my dad and my grandpa, I never got that impression. So even when I was 18, 19, 20, uh, and going to concerts and stuff, when a new animated film came out, I'd go to the theater and see it, you know? That's wonderful. Um, and everybody out there listening, you should do that too. Absolutely. So, and, and I've seen every Pixar movie in the theater and until, until this year when, you know, we weren't able to do that. Uh, always made a point to see the a Pixar good films story the is a good story. There will always be an audience for a good story and word of mouth will carry through. Amen. Uh, I want to know about the other movies animated and not that made you fall in love with film as a child. Oh my goodness. Well, if you have like, I mean, we could go, Let's pick canon, a couple. Canon, <laughs> I mean, canon. Um, obviously, Hitchcock with okay. Vertigo, North by Northwest, Rear Window, Dial M for Murder. I mean, you name it. And and um, this is as a kid. You were watching the, this, the classics? This is, this is as a kid because the thing that dialed me into Hitchcock was that he storyboarded all of his movies. So he knew ahead right. of time that everything worked. You can kind of tell when a director hasn't thought about a really, really select shot list. They're going to just... Now, if you have a shot list, you can always shoot extra footage, but Hitchcock knew. He knew the cuts would work. He knew the scene transitions would work. He had a general idea of how long the movie would be. He had, you know, maybe he shot a little extra footage, but the editing was at a minimum because he was so thorough ahead of time. If studios did that now, can you imagine the money they would save? So it got it in my head that I could be a filmmaker just because I was an artist that I could actually make film because I could tell a story visually. Well, what's the difference between me being behind the camera? Essentially, now that I'm a director, I am the camera. I place all the cameras. I decide all the lighting, the staging, the scene transitions. I'm the scout location. I'm the set dresser. I'm the costume designer. You know what I mean? Like, it's... That was a, a total inspiration for me. And I really am obsessed with anybody that has a strong point of view, like uh, Quentin Tarantino. You know a Quentin Tarantino film if you see it. Because for sure. it has such a distinct point of view. You know a Hitchcock film if you see it. Distinct point of view. Um, Hayao Miyazaki. You can tell a Miyazaki uh. film. Like He should really be in the Criterion Collection 
it's a crime that he's not because I didn't he, realize he wasn't. That's terrible. He's not. He storyboards every single of his own feature. Those are his boards. It's incredible. He's a genius. You know, and then of course I love, you know, Scorsese and uh, Steven Spielberg. There's, you know, countless great directors, but I think at the top of my list is probably um, Hitchcock, Miyazaki and Spielberg. So as a kid, were you forcing your peers to watch these, these old black and white movies with you? Oh, no, no, no. No one wanted to join me in that endeavor. <laughs> <laughs> that was me with comedy records. Like, I loved comedy records, but it was always this solo pursuit. <laughs> I was like, go shut yourself in your room, put on your Hitchcock, or I guess, you know, you find out when it's going to be on television. Mark your that calendar. Was the great thing about getting that one year that I had at CalArts was everybody was that nerdy person that I was when I was sitting there trying to watch a movie and explain to my friends even watching something stupid like Silver Bullet, that terrible werewolf movie back in the day. I was excited about certain shots that I saw. Right. And if you're trying to explain that to somebody who doesn't care, <laughs> they don't care. Everybody right. cared oh, when so you that, went to film school. That, that must have felt incredible. It did. It felt like, uh, oh, wow, some place where I belong. People who speak my language. You, you found your people. Yeah, a bunch of nerds. That's all I wanted. <laughs> so uh, you went to CalArts, but you didn't uh, You didn't stay there with your people. No. Well, I only, again, small town. And when I say small town, when I grew up, we didn't have, we didn't have chain department stores. We had a little corner market. We had one movie theater with one screen. We didn't have like department stores or anything. So it was really, really sheltered. And because we didn't have a computer, if somebody hadn't tipped me off that there was a school for animation in LA, I don't know what I would have done because I just didn't know where to go. So I only applied to CalArts and I was lucky to get scholarships to go there. And after the first year, those scholarships were gone. And my Ah. family, my family wasn't making a whole lot of money. I think Tuition was about $30,000 and my parents probably made $30,000, $35,000 combined. And they offered to mortgage their house to put me through a second year of school. And there was no way that I was going to let them do that. No way. They worked so hard to support me just as is. And I felt like it was my responsibility to figure out what to do on my own. So I was only 18. They could have like sent me sent for me to go back home but I asked for six months and I had three jobs at the time so I could pay for my rent and I went around knocking at I only knew of five studios so I went around knocking at those same five studios for five months at the end of the month I knock on each door and literally like you're supposed to have an appointment but I just fell off the turnip truck I have no idea how business works in San Luis Obispo you shake a hand and that's your you know it's old school we did, you know, right. sealed it with a handshake. So I would literally be at their doorstep knocking without an appointment and asking for a job <laughs> with my crap portfolio. I had no experience whatsoever. I didn't know what I was doing. I'm just like, I can draw. Wow. You should hire me. So <laughs> the fifth studio, the fifth month, and 
it was the house that does the Simpsons, which was film Roman at the time. And okay. I didn't get, I didn't ever work on the Simpsons. I have a lot of friends who do. Um, it was the critic, but I talked to the same producer for the fifth month in a row. Okay. And the, the critic with John Lovitz. Yes. So at this point he wasn't, he wasn't very nice to me on this fifth occasion. He basically sat me down in his office and said, little girl, I don't know what you're doing here. You keep coming back here month after month and you don't have any experience. You don't have anything to offer me. And I really don't know what you want me to do. And I looked at him and went, here's what you're going to do. You're going to hire me. You're going to hire me and you're going to pay me one third of the lowest paid person at this company. And that includes the janitor for three months. And if after three months, I'm not as good or better than everybody else here, then you can fire me. But if I am, you're going to hire me and you're going to pay me like everybody else. And then I stuck out my hand and waited for him to take it. (laughs) Oh, my God. Brass balls. That's amazing. And he did. It was the hot trigger of being talked down to. I had no idea what I was going to say. I just didn't like being talked down to. There's so many ways he could have approached me but yeah he he shook my hand and he hired me and I worked my ass off I worked nights and weekends because I didn't know what I was doing I would learn anything that anybody would teach me I just I just wanted to succeed so badly that's great and and I've been working ever since I had a chance to talk to uh, a filmmaker that I, I love a lot and who makes kind of trash movies, but uh, William <laughs> Lustig, who made Maniac and Maniac Cop. <laughs> and I asked him about film school and he, he, you know, bah, film school. He said, take the money you'd spend on film school and make a movie. You'll learn more than you would in four years at film school. <laughs> and I, I want to know, I want to contrast your first three months working at that studio with your one year at CalArts, where did you, where did you learn more? Uh, well, I would have to say overall CalArts because literally I knew okay, nothing. Good. I knew nothing about animation. I got yelled at in my animation class for not knowing how to animate. Okay. And I sat there looking like, um, if I knew how to animate, <laughs> I wouldn't be here. What are you talking right? about? The Taylor. teacher's like, you're going to make me actually teach. Damn it. <laughs> really, It was really strange for me. But I realized that everybody else in that school already knew how to do these things. And I was coming in at a complete disadvantage. So I made sure that every place that I worked, I tried to learn a new skill. I tried to learn what other people did. I also tried to study the business model of each company and how they work. What are their, what are their affiliations? What companies do they umbrella? What are what are their contractual obligations and what does that mean for what I do? I figured as much as I could learn could only help me in the future. And how, how long did you stay at that first studio? I stayed there for about a year and then I went over to Nickelodeon and then I went over to Disney and then I stayed at Disney for about 10 years. Okay. I'm trying to figure out the years in my head based on, on the context clues, uh, you're at Nickelodeon at the golden age of Nickelodeon. It was pretty cool. 
Yeah, so what's going on at Nickelodeon at that time? This is Rugrats and hey Arnold. Ren and Stimpy time? Yeah, or, Ren and or... Stimpy, Hey Arnold. Although I think uh, Ren and Stimpy was being done by Klasky Chupo at the time. Okay. But I was on what... Hey Arnold, which is where I met Great Dan Pabemeyer, um, who happens to be my boss right now, full circle, many, many years later. <laughs> I'm directing on his new show. Uh, Dan Pavemeyer, for people who do not know, is the creator of Phineas and Ferb, kind of the global sensation, global sensation worldwide. He has a new property out that's going to be on Disney+. Plus. But that's where I first met him. And damn, is that dude a genius. Like, he's just straight yeah. up, straight up talented. That's And that's wonderful. You get to work with him again. And, sure. and the new... Uh, the new property you're working on with him is your, Hamster I, I, and Gretel. Hamster and Gretel. And yeah. uh, are you excited about it? Yes. It's so I'm literally three weeks into the job now. We've just started pre-production. It's so exciting. It's one of the things I love about Dan's property is what I loved about Scooby-Doo. It reminds me of what I like about cartoons. It's fun. It's silly. Right. It's it's got surprises in it and it uses the medium of animation to tell a story in the way that you should. It takes it to hyperbolic levels. Phineas and Ferb is a masterpiece. I'll sit and watch that show all day. Of course you will. Who wouldn't do that? And the movies. (laughs) My eight, my 18 year old son and his friends walked in one day. I'm like, what are you guys watching? And their own volition, no coercing from me. They were all watching like Candace against the universe, Candace versus the universe, the most recent mm, Phineas nice. movie. It cracked me up. I'm like, oh, you guys, I don't have to worry about you and girls for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mom. No, it was no, but how lovely that just it, it, it appeals to 18 year old high school seniors. I love that. How great is that? You know what that means? It circles back to what I was saying before. A good story is a good story and people will watch it. Right. And again, to, to go all the way back again, if, if we're talking about Bugs Bunny and the, and the early Warner Brothers stuff, they didn't have that idea that they were making stuff for kids. They were making no, stuff that was, was going to play before movies in the cinema. Mm-hmm. Right. It had to appeal to everybody and it did and it still does. It's... I wonder how that happened, that we decided that this was for kids. I don't know. I don't know who was in charge. It wasn't me. Right. (laughs) No one (laughs) consulted with me. Uh, My my grandpa was giving me the Archies and Mad Magazine and taking me to watch cartoons. And yeah, he he taught me to do it right. That's fabulous. I think we're coming back around to that now. People, there's a, a whole slew, like a juggernaut of adult animation happening across all the platforms, across CBS with like Star Trek and Lower Decks and Apple TV with Central Park and then Bento Box and Fox with The Simpsons and Housebroken and Family Guy. Uh, then you get I feel like um, it's a, Rick and Morty and, it's an and old- Solar Opposites. Dang. It's an overall cultural thing, too, where I think we have a couple generations coming up now that just aren't buying into any of the, like, put away the kid stuff ideas, you know? Like, I mean, I remember people at, at one of my day jobs giving me grief for still riding a skateboard 
Meanwhile, one of my coworkers is coming in with broken bones every week from riding his motorcycle. But what he did was mature and you know, perfectly fine for adults. And me twisting my ankle on a skateboard was time to grow up, Keith. Like that doesn't even make pollution. You know, um, <laughs> those people are not having any fun. Yeah, I mean, the guy on the motorcycle, to be honest, probably was, but the rest of them, no. They- <laughs> Um, but yeah, like with, with playing video games and watching cartoons and, you know, yeah. And like you said, Adult Swim. I mean, there is a whole category of wonderful well, What else animation will we be doing? Should we be, should we be out bar hopping? Is that adult entertainment? Exactly. Right? Yeah. So We're supposed how to be is, out drinking ourselves to death. Well, gosh darn it. Well, I was uh, trying to, maybe I'll um, submit for that mojito mix and get it on. <laughs> Please do. Please do. Come to I some really, dehydrated I really limes. I'm fascinated really... that there was no alcohol in the mix and they didn't do any like fact checking. It was merely the algorithm of the word mojito that set them off. But then but then we couldn't even explain it to them where we're like, this is a mojito mix, not no alcohol. Like you have to add alcohol to it if you want to. And it, no, mm. no, 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 you said you. mojito. Exactly. <laughs> um, let me, as long as we're getting into some of your current projects and covering the whole history and we've talked about my daughter, I think it's a, it's a good place to do something that I've never done on this before. But when I told my daughter that I had a woman guest who was an animator, she was thrilled. My daughter, Max, is 11. She's a huge animation fan. She draws nonstop all the time. So uh, I had her record a question for you that she wanted to ask. Bring it uh, on, Max. Joe? Miss Amber, what's your favorite project that you've worked on? Oh, Max, you're killing me. You got to choose. That's like choosing like one of your, your children, I mean, right? Oh, my gosh. It's just like your dad's question. Like, what's your favorite filmmaker? What's your favorite childhood cartoon? Those are killer questions. For <laughs> someone who loves film, oh, I have I, I can honestly say, and this is a very Miss America pageantry answer, but I've enjoyed and I'll break it down. I'll I'll get past it, but I really have enjoyed every project that I've worked on because I learned something new. So even if it may not have been something that I normally would have gravitated to or I had like the most fun, so um important in my journey of gaining new information. And I, I look back at my body of work now and I really have tried hard so that someone sitting across the table trying to hire me cannot say, but you haven't done action or you haven't done 3D or you haven't done preschool or you haven't done this. Uh, no, no person across <laughs> the table. I done all of that. Um, right. But I loved working on Mike Tyson Mysteries I loved working on the new Looney Tunes show. I adored working on Stillwater. Oh, what else? Oh, Lilo and Stitch. Those characters. Oh, Chris Sanders. Like, oh, the, the designs there were just off the charts. Beautiful. Um, so you touched on many my... favorites of ours. <laughs> so I think those were some of my favorite ones to work on. Because, well, for Mike Tyson Mysteries... I draw a lot of my inspiration, you know, and I said, like, I love Hitchcock films. I also love Breaking Bad and I love Mindhunter and I love Russian Doll and House of Cards. I like kind of dark film noir things. And you would think that's counterintuitive for making children's programming. But I will take a Breaking Bad shot and throw it into Stillwater, which is a preschool show. It's right. 
it's because the composition is so strong. It inspires me and always makes me remember Tarantino, like no shot. There's no accident for any shot. I'm going to make sure that I stage it intentionally so my audience feels the way I want them to feel. And in a show like Mike Tyson, it's shot like a live action film, which is great. So then I got to flex those muscles. The new Looney Tunes show was shot like a three camera Seinfeld sitcom. So I got to really work like a Seinfeld comedy. Love that. Um, was that's very similar to uh, Housebroken, which is going to air on Fox May 31st after Bob's Burgers. It's also kind of a sitcom setup in the adult ten- entertainment spectrum, uh, starring Lisa Kudrow. It's got like a fantastic cast, Tony Hale and Jason Mantoukas and Will Fort and Sharon Horgan, uh, Clea Duvall and Nat Faxon and uh, Sam Richardson. My God, it's got a great cast. So I loved that because it's adult space. And then Lilo and Stitch, I just loved drawing the characters. Holy freaking right. hell. I think I kind of covered it. Sorry, Max, I couldn't just pick one. And I'm, I'm crap. If anyone <laughs> would understand, it's Max. <laughs> <laughs> let me, let let me, me talk ask, to you. I have, I have a question for Max that maybe, Keith, you know. What's her favorite thing to like? What's her favorite animated movie or cartoon or what's her favorite thing to draw or paint uh her favorite thing to draw and paint right now would be kind of anthropomorphic cats oh um yeah she's real real into she is a cat she'll tell you uh she wears cat ears and a cat tail most of the time love it We'll we'll see how school feels about that when we get back to in person school. <laughs> um, and so yeah, she draws she draws a lot of cats, but she also does. Have you seen the doll customizing trend? You she, mean like a, she'll take like the the American Girl kind of doll customizing? She'll, or she'll go take dolls that she gets from a thrift store, like Barbies or Bratz. Oh, yeah! And then she'll take a little nail polish remover and wipe their faces clean and then paint new faces on. Yes, I do have and a friend. she tends to this. like to go dark. She does a lot of monsters and a lot of, you know, <laughs> oh, scary that. ones. But she also did a mermaid and uh, with a real detailed tail and everything. And Yeah, oh, she's super that. into that. You know that why? Well. Because that's more interesting. Going dark and fantastical Max, you got it, girl. I feel you. I go film noir for all my <laughs> stuff. Love it. I Let would love, add- if you don't mind, I'd love for you to send me some photos. Oh, I totally will. Let me uh, let me ask you about uh, one that you had mentioned that's a favorite of ours, Stillwater. And it's interesting that you referred to it as a preschool show. I never would have thought of it as one, but I, I can see where it would be. Um. But Stillwater, in each episode, they visit a uh, a cone, like a, a Zen story. Yes. And then it's applied to a current situation that the children in the show are dealing with, presented to them by their neighbor, who happens to be a panda. <laughs> and I love how that's never really like, oh, my God, what the hell? The neighbor's a panda. It's just like, oh, there's the new neighbor. <laughs> you know? if, you're, if you're watching Muppet Babies or any animated cartoon, you have to have a sense of suspended disbelief for any of these properties to work. Right. Um, it's the best. So, uh, so I love um, this was. This was not a children's book 
property or series that I was familiar with before I worked on the show. And I instantly fell in love with John Muth's books because I could see the mass appeal. One of the things that I really enjoyed about Stillwater is that it's, it's feature quality animation and setup and production value done on a television timeline, which is extremely difficult to do. But none of the stories are your typical, here's your lesson for the day. The whole, the whole idea about each of these shows is to present a perspective, maybe a different perspective, and a valueness of values of mindfulness. And we're never giving the kids any answers to a question. They have the kids in the show have a question for Stillwater. And what Stillwater does is take a Japanese fable called a koan and tells them a koan that's kind of demonstrative for the situation that they're in, but it never gives them an answer. They cogitate on this fable and then they go and make their own decisions, but nobody tells them what to do. And I really love that because that is real life. You are you are presented with a problem and you don't know what to do as a child. And it's it's much healthier and a bigger growth process for you to figure out on your own how to do instead of somebody saying you should go do this. It's, it's gorgeous. And I hope everybody will go check it out. Um, <laughs> and then I went right and, to that, to like, that a, did... like an adult sitcom that's like very, you know, sexual. And <laughs> I love that. I love how much you jump around. <laughs> You know, I mean, even even hearing you talk about the things that you like, you're like, uh, you know, oh, yeah, well, I got to work on on Mike Tyson's mysteries, you know, and then Stillwater. (laughs) I don't think a lot of people say Mike Tyson and Stillwater in the same breath. I love it. You know, it's uh, it's a little bit of my personality gets to come out each one of these things, which is really kind of my goal. My goal is always to tell someone else's story in the best way, like take somebody else's idea and make it better. But I would hope at the end of the day, somebody sees a show that I've done and they can tell that it's mine. Just like I was talking before about Hitchcock or, and you know, I'm no Hitchcock. However, I'd like to believe, or I'm working towards that goal of having a distinctive feel and love for the things that I do. And, and you have moved into directing. I have. Uh, and when did I'm that like a, happen? If you could see me, I'm like a little, I'm like a fly on a sandwich with a little deck hand. <laughs> <laughs> they gave me the reins. <laughs> I, I've always wanted to direct, but I had children when I was young and I wanted, I was really, really wanted to be home to raise them. So I would only take jobs that would allow me to be at home and As I mean, now that's different. I'm at home directing. But at the time that I was raising my children, that wasn't an option. You had to be in the studio. And this is a very arduous process. I can work 15 hours a day for six days a week. There's no, the buck stops here. So I have to be responsible for the finished product that goes out. So I had to put that goal and that dream on hold for a little while. And then when my children got older, I was like, ah, yeah, let me <laughs> like horses at Santa Anita that didn't break their arms. Like, <laughs> right. I'm out of the gate. Let, let me ask uh, a question that anytime I have an artist on who is a woman, I both want to ask this and, and don't want to ask this. <laughs> what, uh, what special challenges did you face because of your gender? 
uh, over the years in this industry and how, how much, because from the outside, we certainly see it, that it's a male dominated field. How much did you feel it and experience that? Well, I think because I have been in this business for so long, there's no way that I could not have felt that, um, I guess like feeling on the outside. I started when I was 18 and most of the people on my crew were either in their late twenties, thirties or forties. And I was usually the only female artist on my crew. There might be females in production, but it's usually the only female storyboard artist or the only female director on any crew. Um, I love my dudes. I mean, they're great, but I think it took a little bit, it took a lot more for me to be taken seriously. I mean, I will feel that at, um, I mean, I've been a member of the Television Academy since I was 21. And even to this day, I will go to Academy functions and somebody will approach me. And instead of asking me what I do, they give me a label. They say, hey, hey, are you an actress? Are you a PA? I had someone ask me once if I was the entertainment for the night. And I'm like, really? Do, does, oh. the academy, does the academy hire strippers? Fucker? What, right. what's, your, what's your problem? So the one guy who asked me if I, well, many people have asked me if I'm an actress, which a lot of people say, oh, that's a compliment. And I don't feel that because that means that when someone looks at me, they've already decided my limitations and what I can do. And I know that right. because instead of asking me, hey, what do you do? they give me a label. And that's, that's really frustrating as a woman. So that guy, he was a producer for the tonight show and Hey, are you an actress? And I said, well, I'm acting like that's not ignorant and offensive. Does that count? Nice. <laughs> Dumbass. <laughs> and so, and that's how you got on the tonight show. <laughs> we booked you on the spot. Oh, if only. yeah, that didn't ingratiate me. I can tell you that. Okay, so you're not gonna <laughs> you're not gonna put in a word for me. <laughs> I get a little feisty sometimes. I can't help it. <laughs> uh, James Woods hit on you when you were 19. <laughs> this was classic because my I only knew of James Woods because of my parents, but I was working on Hercules. Oh, I hope you told him that, old man. <laughs> oh, of course I did. How could I not share that? It was just so <laughs> surreal. So at uh, the time, well, my James- parents like you. <laughs> Um, James Wood was doing, did the voice of Hades and Hercules. And uh, he is a cool guy. He's fun. He's got this like uh, very prolific body of work that even I knew back then who he was. And storyboard artists could go and watch the record sometimes for the voice actors because we would study them. We'd take mannerisms and draw their expressions. And I remember sitting in the booth in the recording booth and watching him. And I had this bag of Jolly Ranchers because I'm a sugar addict and I eat my little Jolly Ranchers. And every once in a while, he'd be like, hey, hey, you back there. Hey, what's your name? What do you, what do you got right. there? And I'm like, hey, this is, you know, I'm dumb, dumb. I'm like, you know, he's got some Jolly Ranchers. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and then he's like, what's your favorite flavor? And I'm like, my favorite flavor is orange. And he's like, can I have an orange one? And I'm like, no, they're my they're my favorite. Just, I'll give you a lemon just told one. You they're my favorite dum dum. I know. I was like, whoa! Like, no. it's like, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'll give you a lemon one. I won't give you all my favorites. <laughs> 
So he continued to like, and I can tell you, I could see, I was clocking all of the looks from directors, the producers, the sound engineer, you know, the audio engineers and everything. Everybody's looking at each other like, is this okay? This feels like shady. I could tell they were thinking that. And I didn't know what to do. I'm 19. So you guys have to draw the lines here. I don't know what to do. I'm going to engage this person because they're talking to me. <laughs> so then um, I actually, he actually had me come into the recording booth with him and share my candy. And then after the session was over, I was on my way out to my car because the day was over and he came and caught up with me and we talked for like a good hour or so. And he was asking me and he asked me out and took my hand and said, you know, you're going to be the next Mrs. X James Woods, right? Oh, my God. And I'm like, I am 19. (laughs) (laughs) And I like politely declined. I just didn't know. What was I going to do with the James Woods at 19? I don't know. I I didn't know what to do. I didn't even know how to take advantage of that situation if I could have. I kind of of slinked (laughs) away somehow. um, But I'm like, that's awesome. That's like a hot. That was my like first real Hollywood story. That's the best. <laughs> I, I love when you can look at things that way. I had a, I had a booker screw me out of my pay one night and I remember thinking to myself, Oh, I'm a real comedian now. <laughs> I was like, and this was a guy who was notorious for, he had screwed over some of the, over and, you're like, Not me. And, and good people. He'd screwed over comedians. I really looked up to, I put oh. me in great company, you know, uh, <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure that James Woods has been creepy with some of the most talented women on the planet. So congratulations! Because like you know, I mean, that's just like five minutes out of James's day. He had like snatch on the corner that he was going to hit up after me. So I know that he would <laughs> even remember. But for me, I was like, "Wow, that's awesome!" Look at me. Snatch on the corner. Hey, Joe, make sure to put a note uh, on the audio track because that's our quote. That's got to be our quote for the week. Oh, snatch on the corner. That well, might be your next animation series. He's a notorious ladies' man, and I knew that even at 19. So, I mean, you know, I'm not going to get taken advantage of, not by James Woods. No. Maybe by Weird Al, but he's not that kind of guy. Like, if you have – here's the thing is I have – met, seen, spent time with a lot of really cool, celebrity, powerful people in Hollywood. I'm not starstruck. They're just people like everybody else. However, if you're going to ask me that question, who do you want to have dinner with, dead or alive? It's Weird Al. If I'm having, if there's, if there's a Mad Lib and I need a noun, it's Weird Al's bathroom, Weird Al's bedroom. It's, it's, now Weird Al. It's, I'm <laughs> obsessed with Weird Al. And this is a true story. <laughs> when I got divorced and my children thought I was super sad and looking for love, because maybe I was, but they thought I was super sad. And they knew how much I loved Weird Al. And they said, you know, mom, you should marry Weird Al. And they literally did a deep dive investigation. And then they found out that he was married to Susan Yankovic. And they were starting to plot up ways of getting rid of Susan so I could marry Weird Al. And I'm like, you are the best children on the planet. But I think that would really be the only person I'd be nervous to meet because I wouldn't know what to say. He's just genius. That's... 
I think if, if we have a theme that runs through all of our episodes, because really it's just artists that I admire or want to talk to, and it runs the gamut from stand-up comedy to video games to animation. Uh, it comes up over and over again <laughs> that our guests are giant Weird Al fans. <laughs> we always end up talking about Weird Al on this show. Oh my I, god, it's so funny! <laughs> I think that's the theme. This is a this is a Weird Al. Maybe fan you should just podcast. read me. I know that it's your podcast, but maybe you should just start <laughs> switch the, the Weird thing. Al show <laughs> the Weird with Al. Keith Little Jensen. <laughs> We'll see. We'll see what we can do. Um, So you've got you've got a lot of things that are current that are coming out right now. I do. Um, Well, I have um, season one of of Stillwater is on Apple TV. It it premiered just this year. Uh, There are going to be more episodes slowly being trickled out. Stillwater was up for best children's programming for the Annie's this year. We expect to be up for the Emmys. Fingers crossed. That would be lovely. I hope um, it gets more recognition. It's kind of tucked away on Apple TV. For the three people who have Apple TV, they love it, but they really need like maybe a wider reach. So we've got one episodes there where I've directed, I think I directed 19 episodes that season. And then May 31st, we have the premiere of Housebroken on Fox. Really looking forward to that. That's, it's super cute. I love the voice cast is amazing, and the supervising director, Mark Kirkland, he was the longest-running supervising director on The Simpsons, so he really, really was able to be at the helm of that ship and navigate us the whole way through. And then I had never worked with um, with Gabby Allen or Grin, uh, Jen Crittenden or Clea Duvall before, and they were all the creators, writers, and executive producers on there, and they were just so funny and talented and amazing, so... Ah, dream come true on that and then and that's going to be on right after bob's burgers right after bob's burger which is the so hello could i get a better lead in right oh, they're really setting us up for success which is really nice and that's why i moved on to disney because i'm like ah that's too much success for me nah, <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> no but then i i got the opportunity to to direct on hamster and gretel and i just couldn't turn it down because I've not worked with Dan since I've been a director and I just, I just had to do one of his shows. They're just, I'm going to have the best time. And then because I have so much free time, I decided to do my own podcast. So I've got this thing hopefully coming out next month to be determined date, but it's going to be airing in May and it's called Film Fight. And it's basically a film analysis podcast where my co-host and I take two movies of a similar theme or genre or story and match them up to see which one works better and why. And even though it's based in film analysis and, and film knowledge, it's we're taking like a tongue-in-cheek look at these things as well. So we're not just dum-dums out there looking, <laughs> you know, commenting. Right. Um, I'm no, that's so great. Excited. This is going to feed the, the film geek. And unfortunately, I do, I do everything to make things harder for myself because I chose a podcast format that requires me to watch two films and then research two films. Right. Right. And then also I've got three co-hosts, which are awesome. Um, Zach Bassetta and he does his own podcast. So fast, so furious. And he's got this cool uh, YouTube series called 
um, metal school. And this is all about his obsession with 80s rock band. And it's so funny. He's got the best voice. My, my voice, and I apologize to your listeners, is obnoxious and annoying. Is that, no. it's like, it's like massaging your ears, you know, with like, he's just got the best <laughs> voice. And then Steve is an audio engineer for film and television. So he's got like all this other inside knowledge about films and he's so stinking funny. And then Jim is like the sleeper hit. He's like that guy that, that waits, waits. You don't hear much from him, but when he does say something, it's like the funniest freaking thing you've ever seen. And he's, um, he's like behind the ad campaigns for Pepsi and Lexus and um, like some really really big stuff out there. So we've got a great little cast. So would you be doing things like comparing your Jimbo to Fistful of Dollars or yes. Little Mermaid to Ponyo? Yes. So we, um, like our first, our first matchup was Duel versus Joyride because, okay, they're, I mean, they're so, so similar with these big um, Peterbilt trucks, kind of the same villain, almost the same setup. And then we did uh, Pretty Woman versus Made in Manhattan because they're, they're, just, they're really so similar, pretty much take place in the in a hotel. And you've got like a, a female lead of lower socioeconomic status who falls in love with, you know, like a bajillionaire and how that works out and story structure wise, what works and what doesn't. We did a remake episode just last week, Robocop versus Robocop. And oh, then nice. right after we wrapped the the record, turn on the radio on on the way to pick my daughter up from soccer, and there's this robo dog thing going on on the radio. I don't know if you heard about that <laughs> on the news story. In New York City, there was a robo dog that yes. was helping people out, and people were just freaking out. And well, we've all seen the, the 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 Black Mirror. That yes, the dog is scary as hell. But it's it. Like when I listened to the newscaster trying to assuage like people's fears, it was the same verbiage that they used in Robocop. In Robocop. <laughs> come on. Come on, people. Get uh, on a are you gonna do the uh are you gonna do the two Dawn of the Deads? You know, it's it could be on the list. We have there's so that, many great That's a hard one because I love so the original many, so much and the so remake was so matchups. good. We did um, Tombstone versus Wyatt Earp. I think this next okay. one's going to be uh, the Truman Show versus Ed TV. Oh, Truman Show. Come on. I mean, so, but that's like kind of the point is taking, <laughs> taking one that mm, maybe it's up for debate, but usually there's one that kind of shines as more successful. And then picking that right. apart from like from script to casting to directors to budget and kind of pulling it all apart and seeing for anybody who's interested in story and screenwriting and structure – what can you do at that point where you're writing words on the page that are going to help you make your story better? How could you avoid some of these pitfalls to begin with? I, I love this. What a, what a great idea for a podcast. I will definitely give a it listen. It just takes a lot of prep work. So it's my bad. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm glad I get to do the easy part and just listen. <laughs> <laughs> um, congratulations on all the projects you have coming and oh, thank uh, you so much. on your success with that and, and on your Annie nomination. And I, and I hope some Emmy nominations are to follow. That's very exciting. Very uh, delightful talking with you. Uh, it it's really funny nice you, you say behind you. the scenes in animation, but I think of it as all behind the scenes. <laughs> it you know? is, but you know, <laughs> my, my family was watching the big bang theory today and I said to them, uh, 
oh, does this guy do a voice on this show? And then it occurred to me, oh, wait, <laughs> this is actually live action. Not all TV is cartoons, just the, just the good stuff. <laughs> oh, you're a good dad. You've been conditioned. <laughs> uh, yes. But uh, I really appreciate you taking your time and talking to us. And, and I look forward to talking to you again and continuing to enjoy your work. Well, thank you so much, Keith. Thank you, Joe. I had a very nice time. I would happily come back. And I definitely, definitely, definitely want to see some of Max's work. She can hit me up uh, anytime if she wants to talk. You just made yourself a pen pal. <laughs> Thank you all for listening. I have been your host, Keith Lowell Jensen. My producer is Joe Honor, and the art for the podcast is done by Joe Honor. Our editor and audio engineer is Jack Matrenga. Joe and Jack are with HyperPixel, a production company with a focus on digital marketing and e-commerce, offering daily management of your website, social media accounts, and digital marketing campaigns. Our music, our theme song was done by DJ Reel. And once again, thanks to our sponsor, Burley Beverages. Go to burleybeverages.com, enter KLJ Rules with a Z, and you'll get 15% off. Uh, If you haven't already, go watch my comedy special Not For Rehire. It's on Amazon Prime and it's being featured on Roku. So go check that out and leave a review. And remember, as always, subscribe to our podcast and review our podcast and tell a friend about our podcast. That helps a bunch. Uh, Thank you so much for listening and thanks one last time to our very fun guest, Miss Amber Hollinger. Good night. (laughs) 